In our industry, the greatest resource we have is our people. The men and women who have poured, served, seated, greeted, and worked tirelessly to help us thrive. Yelp for Restaurants would like to support you in recognizing their efforts by giving back to those who have given us so much. The surveys have returned for a second year. This first-of-its-kind set of awards celebrates our front-of-house workers. Winners receive a beautifully designed surveys trophy and a $3,000 tip. That's right, $3,000 in their pocket. Do you know someone deserving of a surveys award? Maybe they work at your restaurant. Visit theservies.com today and nominate them for a chance to win. Let's support the service industry together. Do so by nominating someone today. No purchase necessary must be 18 plus and a U.S. resident. Six nominated contest winners will receive a prize of $3,000. Nominations must be submitted between July 31st, 2023 and August 23rd, 2023. See the official rules available at theservies.com. Now here we go. You need to have people who are able to coach them able to train them and that's why i said before that's one of the core skills of leaders today in hospitality they need to be good coaches and good trainers because often we still have expectations job descriptions we want to hire people who have these skills or this level of knowledge but we need to take people who are here right it's hard to find people with the expectations today in hospitality welcome to full comp a show offering insight into the hospitality industry Featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. Nico Veramo is the CEO of the Wild Time Restaurant Group, but he's also a student in business. And he's a teacher at a prestigious university. Nico is probably one of the most savvy and well-educated entrepreneurs I've ever spoken with. And today he shares the universal truths around building and growing a strong restaurant brand. I think continuous education is very important. So no matter if you educate yourself with the university degrees or hotel diplomas or even if you are having an apprentice education in the restaurant business or hotel business, I think the world is chasing so fast, right? If you look at today's landscape as well, I mean, talk about AI or anything else, right? We need to keep up. And it's not just the higher you go in the organization ladders or hierarchies. I think it applies to any position in the business, right? So whether it's expanding your skills when you are working in the restaurant directly in the, in the kitchen or in the service, or if you go into management, obviously, then you definitely need to keep up on the management, on the education. And the same applies, of course, then to educational institutes like universities or colleges. They also need to keep up with the fast-paced changes in the world to keep up the education up to date, right? So those are very important challenges on both sides and also to find the right match, what makes sense to educate yourself upon. So for me, it has been always a guiding line for just becoming a better person, becoming a better leader or becoming a better manager. And currently, I'm also looking at the future education, whether it's doing a course at the Stanford or taking a course at the executive education at the Harvard, which are very expensive, but other choices as well. So whether it's online or offline, and a lot of this is also free of charge, right, if you research truly. So coming back to your question about the Lean Six Sigma, this was at the very early stages of my career. I must have been something around 25 or 30 at that time. And Lean Sigma was a big deal that time, right? Starwood was actually having all these 
implemented in the organization that time. And that was actually the inspiration for me to see like, wow, there is a hospitality company or organization that actually takes this very serious with quality management, not just the old TQM, the total quality management from the 1980s on Deming and so, but actually taking it to the next level with the Six Sigma. They have even up to date some very basic frameworks that are very applicable to organizations in hospitality, restaurants, hotels, whether you use the full advantages of Six Sigma or not, right? The very basic, if I may, it's just to say, you define what your quality should be, right? You define what SOPs or brand standards or what your company stands for. Then you see, decide how you're going to measure it. So that's the end part. How do you measure that quality that you actually have set forward to? Then you analyze it. Obviously, you need to analyze. You need the tools and digitalization, how you're going to analyze it. And then you improve continuously. Obviously, this was also the initial idea of a quality management system to continuously improve. Deming said, the American Deming trade, who was in Japan <laughs> working with Toyota in the 80s. And uh, then you control, right? So as we know in hospitality, no matter what you have in place, if you don't stay on top of those things and control the quality as well, it's not going to happen continuously. So the DMIC circle is something also that we are using at the wild time, right, as a quality process, which is very simple, but it's very effective, I would say, yeah. And that comes from the Six Sigma. And when you continuously educate yourself, I think in all areas of the business, you can find frameworks that may or may not work for you, but certainly there's always something that helps you to get better and move forward. It's a super interesting dynamic because... In the independent restaurant space, the conventional wisdom for at least my entire time in it was that restaurants aren't businesses. They're unicorns. They're this unique thing that do not apply to traditional business practices or principles or methods. And that's proved untrue, largely, is that you can apply these conventional business strategies, regardless of industry, and it creates a positive outcome in your business. So 100%. I mean, you might have seen my LinkedIn profile. I worked for the past 10 years at the Viking Cruises, which when I tried the company was also a rather small, not exactly a startup, but a small scale cruise company with 30 ships or so, and it went up to 100. So there was a scaling up process for this cruise line, which is the best cruise line in the world in both in the rivers and ocean. And the same applied there, right? It was a cruise line. And we applied a lot of frameworks and very universal business practices that we applied then to create exactly with the DMIC circle, for example. We defined the SOPs and brand standards and everything, right? We looked at the, how we're going to measure ourselves from the guest perspective, from the financial perspective at the operational level, right? So we made sure at that time that the hotel managers, restaurant managers, the chefs, that they have the tools that they can also measure them themselves how successful they were. And then again, we analyzed that. We're very quick in the feedback processing. And I think that's really the key, right? So the, yes, if you look at today's restaurant landscape, there is a lot of information. There is a lot of guest feedback, right? It's not like in a hotel or in a cruise line where you get it directly from the guests in your hands. Some in still in a paper form, like it was at the Viking. It has obviously advantages that you get a lot of it and you can measure it directly. In a restaurant space, it's a bit different, right? Because it's sorted all around the place. So my advice there is to look into one of these online reputation platforms like BirdEye or something similar that basically filters you all that. But that's golden data because that's what your guests are saying, right? And if you don't make use out of that, I think it's a missed opportunity, right? 
And I can understand if you have a scaling up restaurant concept that you have several restaurants, it's hard to keep up, right? There is feedback coming from TripAdvisor, from Yelp, from you name it, right? All these places. And often what I've seen with companies, they don't even have mechanisms or systems to reply to those feedback, to analyze that feedback and then take action, right? But it's rather productively looking at one here, one there, and then without any strategy. So yes, I think taking those sort of mechanisms from normal business practice or looking also to the hotel space and the cruise line business is all the same, right? It's all hospitality and learning from other areas of business also how to apply those strategies to restaurant business, 100%. Yeah. When you look at the people that you've learned from, has mentorship played a role in your career? I think so, yeah. And the mentor, it can be also defined to be a mentor or it's maybe an undefined, like a peer type of mentorship. And both ways can work. And there is always the discussion in between what's coaching and what's mentoring, right? I think the key part here is to be as a mentor is a really the sounding board, right? So not to become too much of that on advisor, like it's me telling you what you should do, but rather listen up and spend the 80, 90% listening what the person is and then giving the sounding board and asking good questions. And there are several books about even about that, how to ask good questions, right? So basically it's going more towards coaching. So coaching, mentoring as such, I think it's one of the key management skills today for leaders. You need to marvel those techniques and skills to be a good mentor and coach, I think. Certainly I have had also mentors, I would say more at the peer level, throughout my career who have helped me then to, again, in that same way, asking good questions and helping me to uh, direct myself in the right direction, but also to sometimes to take risks, right? Because it's easy to get comfortable. Once you have reached a certain level and you have a comfortable situation, I've seen this also with myself sometimes that you need to challenge yourself continuously, right? Whether it's through education or learning something new, but also, I think it's important. It depends on the people, of course, too, and your life situation, but not to get too comfortable, right? There is a lot of lost talent as well. And a lot of people just get too comfortable where they are. And then that's it. And that's fine if that's what you like to have in life. And sometimes there's family situation or other things, of course, that make things more complicated or have a weight on that decision. But I think it's important to challenge yourself always very strongly. And for that specifically, I think having a good mentor or peer mentor who asks the right questions and challenges you as well to take risks sometimes and to marvel to other destinations is very helpful. Something that you brought up multiple times, this idea of leadership. And I would argue that in, in traditional educational platforms, they teach about management, not necessarily leadership. And one of the things you had said at the top of the conversation was, at least on a university level, colleges and universities need to evolve with the times. And so you teach and you've taught consistently. How do you teach about the differences in the dichotomies around management versus leadership so that it's clear in the minds of your students what's what and when which should be applied? Yeah, so currently I teach at the university in Austria. So I'm teaching both online and offline. So I go there also twice a year to teach. So I try to group these classes together as much as possible in this short time. I teach the topics of hospitality management and hospitality consulting. So that's more specific than for hotel development and so on and so forth. So these are very specific topics. There's a curricula that has to be thought. 
but that's why I think universities, and it's a great advantage for them as well, to seek for teachers who have the practical experience as well, right? Because that can come then through teaching. So yes, of course, you have a curricular you have to follow, but then there are a lot of questions and practicalities that can be added on top, like how to lead organizations and how to guide these young students who are just entering hospitality, right? And luckily, there is still interest in Europe. I'm sure it's the same here in America as well, that people are still coming to this industry. This is the best industry to be, right? It's very dynamic, very challenging, and has a lot of rewards. You deal with people all the time, and it's a wonderful industry to be. But on the executive education, I think, I agree with you, there are a lot of universities that when they teach leadership, and this is what I said in the beginning, right? It can be very altered models or styles or things that they are teaching. So it's hard for them to keep up. But that's why when one looks for education in leadership, which comes also a lot by experience, of course, one can also learn a lot of things. There are great schools out there also who are more innovative and teaching, whether it's agile type of leadership methods or specific like Six Sigma quality management focused or anything. The one school, perhaps, if I may mention, is the Think, which is in Amsterdam, but we also have a lot of people coming from the US, is, for example, that sort of school. I know Stanford, and that's why I mentioned that before they have this educational bit called LEAD, which is also an executive education, it's, it's online, but also teaches kind of more up-to-date type of leadership mechanisms, tools, and frameworks. Yeah, but I agree with you. It is a challenge for universities to keep up with the speed of education and the needs that also the new generations are looking for. And we all know in the restaurant business or hotel business or hospitality business, right, the new generation I have four kids, right? It's different, right? You need to approach this generation differently. Yeah? They have much more choices, right? They don't have to work for you. They can go work anywhere else, pretty much. There is AI that will be replacing a lot of jobs, not so much in the hospitality business, because luckily we are in the service business, so you always want to talk to people. And I'm sure you have the same experiences when you go on any websites and you have the robot. The first question probably you ask is, are you human or are you robot? Because that, <laughs> that defines how you talk to that chatbot on the sure. website. You mentioned risk-taking, right? And educated risks are incredibly important. Having said that, you spent a decade of Viking cruises. And I think the vacation industry is thriving, right? Especially when you look at international travel. I'm sure that Viking cruises is having record year after record year as it stands. Restaurants, on the other hand, are incredibly hit and miss. What is a hit today can be a failure tomorrow. And you chose to move from Viking Cruises, which after a decade, I'm sure you were still working very hard, but I'm sure that it was somewhat comfortable and predictable. And you decided to become the CEO over at Wild Time. What inspired the move? Very good question and very relevant, actually, because it really hits the what I talked also before and what is very, <laughs> very relevant is taking that risk. So everything was actually packaged in this, right? It was just the right time to move, right? If you talk about the COVID time, Viking cruises, like everything else in Europe was hardly hit, right? We couldn't even operate that time for entire year plus because Americans couldn't travel to Europe and it was just not possible. The same was for a lot of restaurants and stuff. So we came back with a strong financial year and now it's again very strong. It's back to pre-COVID levels at the Viking Cruises. But having been there almost 10 years, it just felt it's time to move. And yes, it was comfortable, right? And it was also a family situation. That time moving from Austria to Switzerland all the time. That's, uh, I lived in Austria, I worked in Switzerland. 
But in Europe, distances are very short, right? This you can do pretty much. You can live in one country and work in the other. A lot of people are doing this. It's not a problem. But it was becoming a comfortable. And again, I had here a mentor who was a very good friend of mine and a peer who also worked in the company. And he was the one who was pushing a little bit like, hey, it's time to move on. It's time to do something else because you're still at the age you can do these steps, right? Because I understand at some point you might be then, let's say 55, 60, you're probably not going to take that big step and move to another position, another country, specifically coming to America, you know, from Europe. That's a big deal, right? Having four kids and the family all back home, the oldest one or one of them is coming actually here now to high school. And so we have two homes now. So one in Europe, one in here. But the main initiator here was also my good friend from Wildsheim, who is now the chairman of the company, who was asking me for actually two to three years already to come over. And that was, of course, another trigger <laughs> to come over and call it the company. So become a CEO and then lead the company, basically. And so I finally made the decision to come over. And I have never regretted that. That was a great move, definitely. When you took the role, I would assume it's because you saw a great company, you saw a great opportunity but you also saw room for improvement. When you choose to sit in the big chair, it's typically because you have a specific vision of how you can impact this company. So when you look at Wild Time, the day you started, you thought these things are amazing and here's where I can create impact. What were the things you thought Wild Time had going for it? And then where did you see an opportunity to make an impact? I remember still very clearly when my friend and the chairman, Heinrich Sassuk, took me to one of our restaurants when I straight from the airport, right? Landing in Lux and coming to Huntington Beach to the Kai Modern Japanese Bistro. And I was just flabbergasted. The quality of the food and the presentation at the omakase, we had the full omakase there, uh, served by the Asian chefs, was extremely stunningly, beautifully presented and so tasty. And this has been and had been always, not just the expectation, but also what I have experienced with our chefs. They are preparing amazing quality food, right? Using very much local produce, whether it's the proteins or fish or meat or anything. And we work with the local farms and fish producers and so as a piece coming from the ocean right in front. And so the food quality was always something that was at the forefront. The same goes for the beverages, right? The cocktails, presentation and so on. So the product itself was the one that was strongly impressive. And what I think, or where I saw, of course, very quickly that where I can contribute a lot is then more the organization, the management, the growth that we have set forward. So this is a progressive company that we are aiming to grow rather fast in the next years. So putting and setting up that strategy, bringing into this experience from cruise lines, hotels and restaurant scope, in also what we discussed about the DMIC, right? So we are currently in the process also here setting standards, whether it's at the very specific level of all the recipes documented. We are digitalizing a lot of processes. We have launched projects in all areas, whether it's finance or HR or operations. And so bringing that whole corporate structure in the company and then this is, of course, required. And this was our agreement, right? Because we set this company for growth. This is, I think, where the background also fits very well. The homegrown or organically grown entrepreneurship style of the company, but then scaling up to a certain level or from XYZ level to up, I think you need to have a structure, you need to have good strategy, you need to have vision, you need to have the right people in the right place. So just to have a great product uh, might not be enough to strategically grow and expand 
wisely and well. So I've been having a lot of conversations lately about the dichotomy between consistency and innovation. I think that restaurateurs, chefs, and the restaurant industry prizes innovation. Everybody likes and respects seeing something new. But customers only care about consistency. No matter how innovative you are, they're probably going to order the same thing almost every time they come in. And they just want it to be the same way every time. You don't hear patrons talking about, oh, you should go try this restaurant down the street. It's different every time I go. Or, hey, those guys are really innovating over there. You should go check it out. People are very much focused on reliability. And that being the case, you guys have so many different concepts. And you talk a lot about growth. How do you scale in a sustainable way? Which brands are you choosing to scale? And what metrics are you looking at to decide? Yeah, very good question. First of all, like you said, you need to see what the market wants to have, right? You need to ask, first of all, who is your customer? Who is coming to your restaurant? Who likes your brand? And what does the market demand, right? The J-Bird's chicken, for example, was created to meet the demand of the Nashville hot chicken, right? Where we currently have seven locations and one franchise on top, right? So you, that's the most important, I think. So to look what the customers want, what kind of food they like, and then to see what the product fits the market and what's good, the pricing and everything, the whole product mix, the whole piece and so from our side, we are currently looking at scaling the shortbread restaurant. So we have two locations. One is at the Newport Beach, and then the second one is in Sedona. Both are very successful. Both are very well set in their local markets. And this gives us a great opportunity. It's more like the coastal kitchen, right? That's the kind of the concept. So we have two projects in pipeline. One is in Palm Desert, probably opening in a queue for this year. That's the kind of the goal. And most likely will be the, the case. Then we have a second in the pipeline, which is opening in San Diego in Q1 next year, right? So we already will get to number four, probably in Q1, latest Q2 next year. That's a product that we've seen. It's good to scale. It's a good core product. It's very successful. People love the food. Again, we come to the food and the product itself is fantastic, right? We have great recipes. We have very good service. And now we need to fine tune it, right? We need to see when we scale. I think it's very important to have then not two different menus in different locations. You have to have like in probably like 70, 80% the same items so the customers also know what to expect. I think it's at the same time for restaurants, it's important to leave that little bit of a creative space as well, like 20, 30% to localities, right? And you may not always find the same suppliers like US Foods or others that are then more specific, right? in the same locations, and you may need to adapt some recipes as well. But in general, I think it's important to have on the core menu, whether it's food or beverage, like this 70, 80% same items when you scale for restaurants, right? And the other product that we are planning to scale is the mole. Mole is more Mexican fine cuisine. We work here together with our corporate chef, who has actually been the incremental part of creating that food concept, Roberto Madrid, who is a climb safe, uh, mostly in Arizona, well-known, very well-known there. And he has created that food concept. It's also fantastic food, right? And here we have two locations. One is in Palm Desert and the other one is in Sedona, right? So those are the main two concepts. And then we have smaller restaurants or small scale restaurants that we kind of, we look and see. This is more what the market is. So we're kind of tasting the tone, right? We have a Kaiseki, which is a sushi concept, that has two locations currently, one in Carlsbad, one in St. George, again in Utah. 
very good food. It's more the fast kind of sushi and the Japanese cuisine goes very well. But here we are kind of testing the waters, whether it's a market fit for more probably like for shopping mall locations, etc. And last but not least, we have the stagecoach, which is more like a roadhouse type of cuisine. And here we are testing the waters. We're opening one next week or the week after in Orange, not far from the office actually where we are located. And then another one probably August, September in Riverside. Uh, both are kind of shopping mall locations, but especially in Orange, it's very close to the residential, right? I would assume that here at the residential, people who live in the vicinity will basically tell us how they like the product and whether it's a product market fit or not. So this is basically from very short on our scaling plans. Of course, we are looking at then the pipeline three to five year, like what are the strategic locations we want to expand the showbread restaurant? What are the plans of mainly three-year plan? What is the five-year plan? And how do we see basically the future? To look at it from the outside, what you see is you see disparate brands spread across, I think, at least three states. It's hard from the outside to see the rhyme or reason behind, we opened this one in Palm Desert, now we'll open one in Utah. I'm sure that it's because you guys have done a ton of market research and every market you enter in is a market that you're super familiar in or relates to lines of distribution. But what does that strategy look like? How are you determining product market fit? Because your cheapest venture is expensive in this industry. And so even though it is an experiment, I'm sure a lot of thought and research and effort goes into choosing the right concept in the right location. What does that process look like? It's a very good question. So in the past, I think it has just been, again, entrepreneurship and homegrown, right? And trialing like a Jaybird's concept, for example, with Nashville hot chicken, right? There was a huge market need. And it could have been that our Jaybird's was in the position where Dave's chicken is today, right? It's a kind of similar type of product, different design and everything. I would, of course, say Jaybird's from the quality perspective is a better product. Obviously, I had to say that, but it is also the case. But we are still in the process that it could happen, that we will also get that spread. And we are working on the franchise side now because we have now tested the concept. It works well, right? The product is great. And now the way forward for that brand, for example, would be with the franchise model. So that's where we are currently. And we have the first franchise in Topanga in north of LA as well, right? So it's already in place. So this is the scaling part for that. But in general, so now moving forward, and it is the kind of strains that we are in Utah, but again, that's just across the border from Nevada is the first city. So it's not real deep Utah, one could say, but it is in Utah. And yes, it's different to operate in Utah, right? You have different regulations to alcohol beverages or licensing. You have different regulations to everything, right? And yes, the customer clientele is also different, right? For example, it is a, quite a challenge for us to find sushi chefs in for Kaiseki in Utah, which has inhabitant range from somewhere to 100, 120, 130,000 inhabitants, right? So to find qualified choosers is extremely difficult, right? So there are challenges that perhaps we were not thinking through that well in those early days, but we see now that we are actually bringing choosers from California to Utah to actually work there, right? Because those are kind of local market specific items that we perhaps could have thought of before better, right? Moving forward, I think this is what, what I mentioned is working on a strategic pipeline, right? So we do our market research, where we want to be, what are the locations, for example, for Shopper to be strategically. So we are kind of working on a pipeline. 
And then we would be specifically looking locations in these markets that we think will be a product market fit. For example, it could be Las Vegas, could be Miami, could be Houston or Austin, those kind of things. And the same we do for the other brands, right? So we work on a pipeline. Then we have, of course, partners from private equity or real estate or, or you name it, right? Or people just approach us that show us locations, get us some leads and so on and so forth, where we then look at uh, potential locations that could be a fit. And that's how we currently work. And it works fine. Yeah, it could certainly be better, but at least to have that sort of pipeline thinking like hotels have. Hotels, of course, we are also lean organizations, so we don't have necessarily a business development department. It's done just in-house with a couple of people like myself, Jamin, and a couple of other people, right? So for new locations. So that's the kind of the strategy. So it's kind of a loose, but we do work on having those pipelines for each locations. And so moving more from the tactics to strategy also in this area. You mentioned the lack of sushi chefs in Utah, but I would assume that a massive hurdle to growth is going to be available labor generally everywhere. Are you guys struggling to acquire talent? And what are you doing to try and lure and retain really talented people into the organization? Very good question. Yosa, I think this is the biggest challenge in hospitality since after COVID, right? Define talent. It was no different with the Viking cruises. Define people was the biggest challenge we had that time, right? So what did we do there? We started our own hotel school, not the university hotel school where we thought practical skills. So we took that taxi driver from Romania and offered the paid internship, traineeship for eight weeks. We trained this guy to become a comedy cuisine, so basic cook, a line cook. And that's how we took, we took hundreds of people. We trained them. So we had our then hotel school first as a trial, and then it became very successful and actually became necessary because to find at Viking Cruises then a couple of thousand people, you needed to do something, right? So again, it was taking proactive mode on finding talent. Now here, of course, having a number of restaurants, we cannot create our own hotel school. So it's a bit different, right? <laughs> so it's very challenging to find qualified people, first of all. and also, I was actually quite surprised because, of course, we work strongly on employer branding. I think that's a key. So you need to be a great company for people to come to work for, right? If you're not a great company, if you don't offer great products and great benefits, at least the basic benefits, if you don't have great leadership, if you have a chef who is shouting at you, people just go somewhere else. Why would they need to put up with that? They don't have to, right? There is so much choice. And in hospitality or in the restaurants, people don't have to care, right? Affinity to the brand is difficult, right? For somebody to working for Wildsheim Group, we want them to be proud that they work for this company. We want them to be recognized that they're part of the family, right? We are also working with our director of people and culture in systems where we will also reward the loyalty to the company. So we will have our base salaries and in the future, we'll have some loyalty bonus, right? If you stay one year, two years, three years, or so on and so forth. I think you need to recognize the people who stay longer because they don't have to, right? It's really, really great. And we have great people also in this company who have been with the company for many years. So it's already a great reflection that something we are doing right, right? But we also have, when we look at the line stuff, of course, there is a fluctuation, right? We have one person leaving pretty much every week somewhere, right? Because we have a constant need to hire people. We train them, but we're also working similarly at the same time. 
on all these standards and training material. And so it is a journey, right? But it is definitely the biggest challenge, I think, that the industry has. But in order to tackle that, I think, again, companies need to work on their employee branding. They need to provide great leadership. People don't need to stick with you if you're not nice to the people. So you need to be nice. You need to be professional. That's very, very important. I think that's one of the key parameters for success. You need to have great culture. Peter Trucker, who was, by the way, Austrian, he said, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? So strategy is important, but if you don't have a great culture, people decide to go possibly, right? So always build a great culture. I think that's really the key for success at many levels, but also for retaining talent. And then you need to continuously train. We talk about university education and continuously improving and educating yourself. The same applies for staff at the restaurants, right? So you need to bring that education to them because they are not going to necessarily look for online courses and studying and taking upskilling courses. You need to have people who are able to coach them, who are able to train them. And that's why I said before, that's one of the core skills of leaders today in hospitality. They need to be good coaches and good trainers because often we still have expectations, job descriptions. We want to hire people who have these skills or this level of knowledge, but we need to take people who are here, right? It's hard to find people with the expectations today in hospitality. So you take that guy or girl who is having no the skills that you would expect them to have, and you need to bring them up. So people need to be much more patient today. You cannot have a chef or restaurant manager who is not accepting that person who is just low skill, perhaps, but still has a great attitude. You need to bring them there, right? And that's why Having coaching and teaching skills today in hospitality is very crucial, right? Our industry suffers from razor-thin margins, and the only way for us to ensure profitability is to make data-driven decisions. The numbers don't lie, and Yelp for Restaurants just released some incredibly compelling numbers. For starters, Yelp reaches nine times more customers online than OpenTable. And would restaurants pair that level of visibility with Guest Manager and Yelp ads? They experience up to an 8% lift in diner bookings. Think about what that 8% lift could do for your restaurant's finances. To learn more about how Yelp for Restaurants can support your business, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp to learn more today. That's Nico Veramo. For more information on Wild Time, visit wildtimegroup.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.